just jumping into today's message, just wanted to share from a passage um, from the Gospel of Luke today that may be a little less familiar. Um, and just to set the stage a little bit, um, this passage comes from pretty early on in Jesus' ministry where his uh, popularity is, about, is starting to grow and the things that he's been saying and doing is starting to kind of spread. And so that's, this is kind of where this passage picks up. And so I think all of you guys have um, a passage handout. And so it's not too long. And so maybe we could just read it all together. Okay, and so here's the passage as well up here. And so ready? One, two, three. <laughs> All right, so not sure how many of you guys have ever experienced uh, being part of a funeral procession or at least even seen one. And so just to give us a little bit of picture of what this looks like, um, it's something like this. Um, the bears are the people who are carrying the casket, and usually those are the people that are kind of in the front leading the whole procession. And so uh, this is kind of a picture of what it looks like today. Um, but before we dive into this story, I just wanted to make one quick observation and just note how short and simple this story is, okay? So it's like me saying, hey, you know what, last week it was fan's birthday, and so we went to go eat hot pot at this place down the street, and BTS was there, and they invited us to eat dinner with them, and you know, the food was okay, I'm not sure if I would go again, right? And if you kind of hear that, you'd be like, what? Like, you ate with who? And you know, it's not like I'm a BTS fan or anything, but it's kind of like that, like, here in this passage, it's not like just some celebrity encounter either, right? It's this miracle. It's a resurrection. And it's almost underwhelming how straightforward Luke chooses to tell this story. And I think this is pretty consistent with other accounts of miracles throughout the Gospels. And scholars would point out that it's characteristics like this uh, that go to boost the validity and the reliability of the gospel accounts because it just goes to show that the original authors, they were just ordinary, truthful people who were just trying to tell the story as objectively as they saw and experienced it. And so I just wanted to make that note. But now, going into this passage, this passage captures a pretty astounding story, not a story that you come across every day, uh, and has a very happy ending. But the story doesn't start that way. As a matter of fact, it begins with a tragedy, and it's a tragedy of the death of a mother's son. Now, every death is tragic because every person who dies is some mother's child. But here in this story, this man was his mother's only son. And we also learn from this passage that this woman was also a widow, meaning that her life had been touched by a similar tragedy once before, specifically the death of her husband. And so in ancient Palestine, just some, for some context, uh, this would be considered a huge misfortune in addition to it just being a tragedy. And the reason for that is because back then, uh, women had no rights of their own, and they would have to depend on either their, their husband or their sons for basic status and survival. And now at this point in this woman's life, she was deprived of both. And so more than the loss, but more than the loss of status or income, I think we would all agree that the greatest tragedy is just in the loss of life itself, the loss of relationship, 
uh, the loss of a precious life that would uh, never fully grow up and be able to experience life to its fullest. And so I think we'd all agree that every death is a tragedy. It's not just the death that happens here in this passage. And as much as we'd like to not think about it, I think we'd also agree that because of that, our world is full of tragedy. Because after all, death comes for all of us. It comes for the richest celebrity and for the poorest child alike. And I think another fact about life is that no matter how long or short someone lives, and no matter how anticipated their passing might be, when that moment finally comes, I think it's also true that we feel very disturbed by it. Like even though death is in a way the most natural thing to happen to us in life, it feels like it's the most unnatural thing, like as if it wasn't supposed to be this way. And so like, why is that? And I think one mis- a common misconception that we fall into thinking is that death is some form of like divine judgment or retribution for some wrong that we did or for our sins. And I think the sentiment that death is some kind of punitive judgment upon our lives, I think that's even found in the Bible itself, right? And so in 1 Kings, in the Old Testament, there's a story of a prophet. His name is Elijah, and he's staying uh, uh, at the home of this family. And during his stay, um, the, the son of that family dies. And we read this in the mother's response. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And so this mother is wrong, of course. Uh, The prophet Elijah did not come to remind her of her sins and to kill her son. And in fact, after this, he raises her son back to life. But I think this just goes to show how there is something that is so horrible and tragic about death that makes us question what it is that we did to deserve it. Like, why did this happen? And I think it's natural for us to attribute that cause to some wrong or some mistake that we might have made, which is why I think one of the most common sentiments that we're often left with when dealing with death is often one of guilt or regret. But the reality is that all people will die. Um, George Bernard Shaw, he was an Irish playwright um, in the early 1900s. He once said this. He said, death is the ultimate statistic. One out of one dies. And so death comes for all of us. And it's not because we are any worse sinners than others. And in fact, the Bible asserts that we are all sinners. Um, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so according to the Bible, sin is also the ultimate statistic in that one out of one has sinned. And that's because sin is not just some immoral action that we commit. Sin is rather this self-centered attitude that refuses to recognize that God has anything to do with us in our lives. And one day, God, who is by nature and by definition the source of life, He will give us the dignity of choosing our own destiny to be cut off from him forever. Now, that was a choice that Adam and Eve made in the garden, and that's also the choice um, that we make with our own lives that will one day lead to what the Bible kind of paints as this second death, which is this eternal separation from God in hell. And so going back to the question of, like, why does death feel so unnatural? Maybe it's to prevent this so-called second death that this first physical death exists to remind us of the sobering reality that each of us must die and face judgment at some point. 
and to make clear to us that the choices that we make in this life have eternal consequences. And I think in this way, I think the first step may actually be a mercy and perhaps even a gift if it dreads us, if, if the dread of it drives us to be reconciled with God and to be reconnected to the source of everlasting life. And so I guess that's the question I wanted to ask um, you guys today is, have you ever experienced death? Um, I understand that this could be um, a pretty heavy and sensitive topic, um, and it's definitely a topic that our culture avoids talking about, but could it be that when we come face to face with death in our lives, that those could be opportunities for us to consider what awaits us beyond it and to perhaps even adjust our lives accordingly? And I think in that way, perhaps even something as tragic as death could become a blessing. Um, for myself personally, this was something that always weighed heavily on me, starting even from high school. Um, it's not that there was so much death in my life, um, but for one reason or another, I always found it difficult to cope with the passing of time um, and just that whole feeling of um, the whole feeling of nostalgia uh, and this reality that time will one day take away all the relationships that mattered most in my life. And so I kind of grew up having an almost negative and nihilistic perspective on life that led me to think about death. And it was this acknowledgement of death that actually made me um, dive deeper into my faith in Christianity. And even to this day, it's this reality of death that continues to serve as a clear reminder for me of what really matters in my life. And so have you ever experienced death or thought about death? And as weird as it may sound, I would actually encourage all of us uh, to think about it as it really is the ultimate statistic that we will all have to personally face one day. And so um, we're kind of sitting around tables, okay? And so I know it can be a little heavy topic, but hey, why don't you guys just give it a shot? Um, um, have you ever been to a funeral? Okay, what was that experience like? Um, and what truths about life or about God did you take away from that? Okay, so I'll give you guys a few minutes to talk about that, um, people next to you. So for the second half of... The message, I wanted to show a video message, um, a video recording from a person named Roy. And so last time I was up here um, giving a message, I also um, um, had him share. But Roy is someone who is near and dear to my heart. He is the first person that I met ever coming to college. And he currently leads our church at Purdue University. Okay, and so he actually has a recording of some thoughts on this passage as well that I thought would be nice to watch together. And so it's about 10 minutes, and so we'll just go ahead and watch this, and I'll be back. So for the town of Nain, death came that day for a young man, the only son of his mother, a widow. And the entire town must have felt that tragedy, so they do the only thing there really is to do at a time like this, to be with the bereaved, to grieve, to mourn, because as anybody who has attended a funeral has probably felt, I mean, Nobody really knows what to do or to say. What do you say at a funeral? Well, whatever you say, don't say what Jesus said. Because Jesus went up to the dead man's mom. And he says, I think, possibly the worst thing that a human being could ever say at a funeral. Do not weep. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus said like kind of crazy, absurd things like this throughout his ministry. Like one time he said this. He said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
What? How can one mere human being shoulder the burden of the whole world, give rest to countless restless people? Jesus also said this zinger, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, in the book of John, right after Jesus says this, most of his followers like unliked him, unfriended him on the spot. Like, we might be used to these sayings, especially if you, you know, grew up listening to Bible stories, going to church, but I think we always have to hear Jesus' words with fresh ears to understand how shocking and sometimes offensive they are and how Jesus meant for them to be received that way. Because Jesus forced people then as now to ask ourselves, who does he think he is? Who can say such things? Certainly not a good moral teacher. Whoever says stuff like this cannot be a good man. Either he is a bad man, like an insensitive, egotistical sociopath, or he's not a man at all. And I think that's the point. Jesus acted like he was no mere man. Now, as theologians insist rightly, Jesus was fully man and fully God. And his in his full human nature, which, which comes out through the story, you know, it says he saw the widow and he had compassion on her. His heart went out to her. So he, he goes up to her and says, do not weep, not out of some heartless indifference, not as a cruel joke, but because he had compassion and being confronted with unspeakable pain and grief, Jesus, as fully man, felt what any human being would have felt. But Jesus, as God, decided to do something about it. Yet that raises another question. Why didn't Jesus raise other dead sons and daughters? Well, the Bible is clear that Jesus came into our world not to cure the problem of biological death or disease or hunger or injustice. He could have come to do any or all of those things. But Jesus came into our world to defeat the second death to change the destiny of people headed to hell and set them on a path to heaven if they would but put their trust in him that he paid the penalty of their sins and, and receive the free gift of forgiveness. So why then did Jesus raise this woman's dead son? Maybe the simplest answer is just kindness, just compassion. At the tomb of his friend Lazarus, Jesus himself wept before raising him from the dead too. Maybe Jesus, being God, the God-man, felt not less sorrow but more and shows us that God, for all his wisdom and power and omniscience, he's not distant and aloof. And on his way to the cross, Jesus is not too powerful, too busy, too self-important to, to stop and to comfort and forgive and heal those in need. From the moment he entered our broken world, Jesus was on his way to the cross. But along the way, you know, there's people that he met, that he helped and transformed, and some of them began to follow him. And so the story begins with Jesus entering the town, and he had disciples, and it says a great crowd was with him. And this kind of entourage, this procession runs headlong into another crowd. You know, perhaps most of this town, the town of Nain, walking in silence, I imagine, behind the casket and a weeping woman. Two processions, one led by death and the other one led by the Lord of life himself. It's a head-on collision 
and death loses. Because Jesus is the original tomb raider and grave robber, and if you are willing, he's coming soon to a casket near you. But it's a striking image, these two processions, because I think it describes our world. The Bible says there are only two kinds of people, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. All humanity can be divided into these two camps. And so the question is, which group, which procession are you in right now? Who is at the head of the crowd that you are following? No matter what we might say with our lips or you know think intellectually in our heads, all of us walk behind someone. All of us follow something. Now, is the head of your procession a celebrity, somebody rich and famous, or maybe just somebody living a you know comfortable but pretty self-centered life? Whoever it is, if it's not Jesus, you're in the wrong crowd. All the crowds, all the processions of this world, they all end up in the same place. But each day, today, you and I have the chance to choose to follow somebody else, to follow the Lord of life instead. But it's a pretty big deal to change processions. And that's kind of how the story ends. You know, after Jesus raises the dead man, it says this, Verse 16, fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now, fear, the word fear has kind of a negative connotation in English, but fear in the Bible doesn't mean being like petrified, terrified, but it means having a healthy respect and reverence for the divine. So it's not contradictory at all to fear God and to love him. And so when the townspeople saw what Jesus did, they were filled with a reverent fear because, you know, they were shaken. They were disturbed because they knew they were in the presence of no mere man. They were in the presence of the divine. So they call Jesus a great prophet. They proclaim God has visited his people. And as I was reading this story, I, I thought, you know, the truth is even more shocking than what they realized because Jesus is more than just a prophet, more than just a messenger. He is the message sender. He is God in the flesh who has come not just for a visit, but to dwell with his people, to be that Christmas word, Emmanuel, which means God with us. That was what happened on this remarkable day in the town of Nain. But it's true in your town and my town Today, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has come to visit us if the gospel is true, if Jesus came not just to raise a couple of dead people, but to die and rise from the grave himself to defeat death and declare victory and life for everyone who trusts in him, who unites our destiny with his. Jesus said, because I live, you also will live. So sure, each of us are going to die physically, just like I'm sure the man in this story, he eventually died again too, but the first death, is no longer the gateway to judgment and the second death. Everyone in Jesus' procession, every day we walk behind the Savior, is a day closer, not to tragedy and tears, but to eternal life. So Jesus canceled not just this one funeral, but all funerals, in that funerals are no longer a hopeless, helpless final goodbye. For anyone in Christ, the last day of their lives will be, in a sense, the best day of their life on earth. Just like the last day of the school year is always the best day of the whole school year, as C.S. Lewis wrote in the final book of the Narnia series. The term is over. 
The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. Now, if this is true, how could you or I go back to normal life in the shadowlands if the morning sun has risen, if the light of life has dawned on us? We must see to it that this report about Jesus spreads throughout the whole world until every funeral is canceled and everyone has had a chance to join his procession of life. Cool. Thanks, Roy. Um, so how about we just end like this? Um, there is a quote that Roy said um, that I think is be worth discussing. And so he said this, he says, but it's a striking image, these two processions, because it describes our world. The Bible says there are only two kinds of people, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. All humanity can be divided into these two groups. And the question is, which procession are you in right now? Who is at the head of the crowd you're following? No matter what we might say with our lips or think in our heads, all of us walk behind someone and follow something. And so just wanted to have you guys just discuss this a little bit among your tables. Like, hey, do you agree or disagree with this statement? Um, and what sort of implications would this have on your life if it is true? Okay, so why don't we just talk about it for a little bit, and then I'll just wrap us up in prayer. up the conversations. Yeah, please feel free to keep talking about this afterwards. Uh, you're more than welcome to. Um, but for now, I'll just wrap us up in prayer, okay? Uh, Father, I just want to thank you so much just for um, just this opportunity to be able to talk about uh, something that can feel so taboo and uncomfortable to talk about in our day-to-day -day experience. Um, I thank you that you're a God who came to this earth to 
um, deliver us from death, Lord, and to give us a hope um, that lasts beyond the grave, Lord. And so, Father, I just really pray for each of us here, Lord, uh, wherever we are in our spiritual journey, um, that we would really take the time to think about um, these bigger questions. And I really pray that each of us would be able to come and arrive at uh, just amazing hope and truth that we can find through the cross. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can have an opportunity to go um, and serve the elderly um, at our convalescent homes. Uh, I just really pray that uh, as we go, that we would also remember uh, just this backdrop, Lord, um, of, uh, of the, uh, the, the, the destiny that we are all headed towards. And God, I really pray that we thank you that we have an opportunity um, to alter some people's destinies today, Lord. Thank you so much, and just stay in prayer.